Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Hang on to your hat to fasten your seatbelt because from here on out, this one is liable to be something. With all these draft picks, ideal football makeup on all of them, the grit and the passion and the toughness they play with, and we are excited to land these players. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Hogue. The FaceTime call came again, and then I opened it up, and it was Coach Nagy, and he was telling me that they are going to use their 43rd pick on me, and uh, I was so pumped up. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. For us to take any position, it really has to align for us. You know, sometimes there's players we like at that position, and the board just doesn't fall that way for us. We're okay with it, because we came away with seven players we're really excited about. Ladies and gentlemen, here they are. Please welcome to the stage, The Adams. Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in. Hogan Johns here with you. The draft started a week ago, guys. That flew, flew by. by. It does fly by. These days Ooh. are like Groundhog Day, so the, the, the draft did give us uh, something different for three days. It was nice. It was nice. Uh, but we move on. And there's wide receivers getting signed and people freaking out about quarterbacks and stuff and most importantly Kevin Fishman is with us today the Fishman what's up Kevin it's great to be here guys I am ready to dive in and talk about Napoleon Maxwell no idea who that is but let's go ahead Uh, FIU running back, undrafted rookie. I think this guy's going to bring some size to the backfield. Uh, He's got a little bit of burst, too, to somebody to watch uh, this training camp. Add him to the uh, long list of great names the Bears added to their roster. Yes. 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 We got an Arlington Hambright and the Napoleon Maxwell, Lechavius Simmons. The list goes on and on. How about uh, the, the one-on-one matchup we're going to see between Barkevius Mingo versus Lechavius Simmons? Whew. Good luck, Jeff Joniak. Sorry, Good luck. I cut you off there. Say your thing, Adam. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome in, everybody. This is uh, Hogan Johns. You can follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, H-O-G-E, at Adam Johns, at J-A-H-N-S, and Kevin Fishbane, at K Fishbane. Ooh, Twitter's a fun place to be today and the last couple days. Uh, we're going to discuss all that here coming up in uh, in a couple moments. And uh, you can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com, both Kevin Fishbane and Adam Johns at The Athletic. Plenty of content available to consume in those two places, so you can find it there. And if you are not subscribing to The Athletic, you should be. TheAthletic.com slash Hogan Johns. And there is a – you guys still doing the free trial, right? During 90 this time? days, my friend. 90 days free. Why would you not sign up for that? It's uh, it's just a no-brainer at this point. So make sure you're doing that. And our producer is Kent Garrison. He makes sure this comes through nice and clear and great editing. It's always there for you here on the Hogan Johns podcast. All right. So uh, there's been, uh, I feel like, a bunch of Twitter angst. First of all, before we get specifically into the quarterback stuff, this is more of a general observation, guys. I mean, the Bears angst in general. I don't know if it's the quarantine. I don't know if it's just the fact they went 8-8 and last year or whatever and thought they were going to win the Super Bowl. But my God, if you compare it to last year at this time and how everybody was completely overboard on the other end of this thing, talking Super Bowl... Everything they do right now, everybody's like angry about it. I feel like just, yeah, I, just, I'll, just relax. I want to blame it on this this COVID nineteen pandemic, guys, but we, we know better. This is just how it is. It's a it's a range of emotions, 
It's a range of feelings and hot takes, and any little tweet about anything, especially quarterbacks, will set everybody off. Anything I tweet about the Bears, there's always some like snarky comment in response to what you know anything. Like just ne- it's just negative. Yeah, I, I joked during the season that Matt Nagy was really bad for our Twitter ratios. Um, for those of you who don't know who to ratio is, when you get a lot more people replying to you than retweeting you, because you, we would just you know tweet what he's saying, everyone just gets so angry. And I had this thought. I know you guys kind of obviously already covered the, the the main picks, but you know if they went, you know people were mad they didn't take a safety. Well, if they took a safety, people would be mad that they didn't take an offensive lineman. If they took an offensive yep. lineman, people would be mad they didn't take a corner. Like they only had two second round picks. There was only so much they could do realistically a quarterback they are financially stuck with most of their offensive line and i should note two of those offensive linemen went to the pro bowl a couple years ago so i just think that like we are just in a state of last year was so utterly disappointing that there is nothing this franchise can really do to make anybody happy until they play games and win games Uh, look it's not just a bear every every single team their fan base somewhere, there is somebody saying, well, why didn't they address this position in the, in the draft? Like, you just can't hit them all. You can't. It's not how it works. There's always a position that you're going to neglect. And be like, even the Saints, who probably have the most complete roster in football, probably, why didn't they draft an inside linebacker in the first round? You know, because that's like maybe their biggest weakness. I it, It's... It, 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 I don't know. It's, to me, it's got to the point where it's exhausting. And I know, Johns, you want to talk about the quarterbacks because that specifically has been a hot-button issue here the last couple of days on Twitter. Well, one more draft note. My favorite complaint is why didn't they draft a starting right guard in the second round? Well, well let me just look at the, the hard facts. Two interior offensive linemen were taken in the entire first two rounds. One of them was a center in Cesar Ruiz, who went to the Saints, actually, in the first round. And the other guy was Robert Hunt, who might have been overdrafted a few picks ahead of the Bears. Where did he go? The Dolphins? So two interior offensive linemen taken in the first two rounds. I get they needed a right guard. But look at that. There was nobody available. You're going to overdraft the guy. That was my concern going in. And just the numbers speak for themselves, I think. It just shows how poor of a draft class it was for interior offensive linemen, especially in the first two rounds. Yeah, and the guy that we were talking about, Lloyd Cushenberry, went late third, right? And then Number 83, um, Adam, number 83. And then the guy I liked, they started liking more and more, was his teammate Damian Lewis from LSU. He ended up going ahead of Cushenberry, but that was still in the third round. So I, I think I think that's a good point, that if, when, when it really when everything played out, uh, the second round didn't seem to be a great place to secure one of those offensive linemen. So look again, the the, the bigger point is, so right guard and safety got eliminated. Uh, when you, you you look at those specific positions in the grand scheme of your roster, they're not the most important positions. Box safety, right guard. There's there there's spots that you can cover up. And I yes, I say that as somebody who's been pounding the table saying the Bears need to upgrade their offensive line, and that's the. One spot that seemed to be open. But still, those are two spots where you can cover up holes if they do exist. Yeah, and you know, you, all you have to do is look at franchise tag values and average salary and see where those positions rank among the NFL. But you know, if you want to talk about um, the way that, you, you know, because if you want to complain about their lack of draft picks, you're essentially complaining about having Cleo Mack. 
So, you know, that's another discussion. And I think, and actually, I think, Hoag, I think your partner, J.J. Stankovitz, mentioned this over the weekend, that if you're mad about where they took Cole Komet, really your anger is more about the fact that they had to use a second-round pick on Cole Komet because Adam Shaheen didn't work out. You know, it goes back to free agency. You know, people were mad they overpaid Robert Quinn, quote-unquote, overpaid. Well, it's because Leonard Floyd didn't work out. So there are things about the organization to be upset with. I think for us in our roles, I like to look at this as trying to be as pragmatic as possible. This is where they have needs. These are their resources. There's only so much they can do. And those things that didn't work, those were poor decisions, and they have to make up for them. They can't just sit here and not do anything. So this is the best that they can do. I do understand... Fans can be frustrated. Fans can be fickle. Look, if you read the text messages I, I send Northwestern sideline reporter Adam Hogue during Northwestern games, you know that I can relate to fans' <laughs> frustration. Um, but I do think there has to be an understanding here that the, there was just limited resources of what this team could do this summer. All right. Let, let's address the... Uh, I guess the timing is just the fact that Jameis Winston signed with the Saints for $1.1 million. But... All of a sudden, there's this revisionist history, I feel like, on Nick Foles. So the Bears trade for Nick Foles. They trade a fourth-round pick. They're on the hook for more money. And everybody's upset because Jameis Winston, who turned the ball over a ridiculous amount of times last year, like completely unacceptable amount of times last year, to the point that he's only getting $1 million to be a backup. Like, just follow the money, first and foremost. Follow the demand. Okay, he ends up in New Orleans and everybody's upset because, oh, the Bears could have got him a lot cheaper. That's Go ahead, guys. Bad, that's bad backup money, too, by the way. <laughs> it is. Chase Daniel got like three times that. Yes, yes. Like Kevin's guy, Chase Daniel, should call Jameis Winston and tell him how to do this. This is going to be his new career path because obviously Jameis Winston's at a point in his career where he has to reinvent himself, right? He has to learn. Like I saw his quotes. He's looking forward to learning from Sean Payton and Drew Brees. That's where he's at in his career. But in terms of backup money, he got bad backup money, guys. Yeah, I was, I mean... I was surprised. I think there's two ways to talk about this. I was surprised he got that little money. I know he throws throws a lot of interceptions, but this is a number one draft pick who also thrown a lot of touchdowns. Um, and you know, you look at guys like AJ McCarron, the type of money that they've gotten for not really playing. Um, but I do think there's something to be said that that they he's going to be their backup, but he doesn't know how to be a backup. So I, you know, I wonder if that factors in. So separate discussion. Yeah, probably Saints got a great deal. But I don't think that has anything to do with what the Bears did at quarterback. And I'll ask you guys this. What could the Nick Foles' salary that the Bears have to obviously take into account, what has that precluded them from doing this offseason? Like, what have they been unable to do that they could have done if they spent $1 million on somebody who did not fit at all with what the coaches want? I mean, like they gave a ton of money to Robert Quinn. That you know, that they they've made their moves that they've needed to make. They gave money to threw a ton of money at Jimmy Graham. So for everyone complaining that Nick Foles, you know, you could have gotten Andy Dalton for cheaper or Jameis Winston for cheaper. What has the Nick Foles deal kept the Bears from doing that they could have done in the spring? None, none. According to people on Twitter, they overpaid for those guys you mentioned. Yeah. I don't know. There's just this, this idea that they misjudge the quarterback market. I don't. Uh, it's it's really the simple guys. They wanted Nick Foles. 
That's the guy they wanted. He's the guy that Matt Nagy trusts. He's the guy that Matt Nagy has history with, and he right now wants a quarterback he can trust when he calls the plays to execute the play that he's calling. It comes down to that, okay? And you're, you know, Andy Dalton's maybe the only guy close to Nick Foles because he's got some history with Bill Lazor, but he doesn't have history with Matt Nagy, and he was on the hook for $17 million and the Bengals weren't making a move with him. So you're, what, what are you going to do? You're going to secure the the guy that your head coach wants with a fourth-round compensatory pick or you're going to wait until April 30th, May 1st to wait for the Bengals to make a move after the draft. Like, it's it, There's no logic, really, to arguing that the Bears should have done, done something different here. Cam Newton's still not signed. Still has medical concerns. He's also Cam Newton. You've seen the money here with Jameis Winston. Like, just again, I will always say this follow the money. There are reasons behind why guys fall in the draft, why they don't get signed. You, there's Nick Foles had demand. Those guys, there's no demand. So I tried to address some of this quote unquote outrage on, on Twitter with, you know, Cam Newton, here's, here he is unsigned, you know, obviously he could get a good deal. Here's Andy Dalton unsigned, obviously he can get a good deal. And here they are with, you know, Nick Foles guaranteeing him basically $21 million over, over three years. But, like, guys, like, you can't wait this long. Could, could you imagine the everyday angst if Mitch Trubisky was the only quarterback on the roster up until this point? You can't just operate that way. If you liked Nick Foles, you had to make a play for him because there was no guarantee, no guarantee that the Jaguars were going to release him. In fact, that's why they played hardball, you know, after the combine. That's why they took an offer from the Colts. That's, you know, even if you just look at the contract structure, you know, $45 million was guaranteed at signing. $45 million, And a lot of that was still in year two. So if you just look at the contract structure, that could just tell you, you know, they, there is a commitment to him still financially that doesn't make much sense for them to release him. They had to find a trade partner. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, John Z. Like, the, the, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the obvious frustration that a lot of fans have, but holy smokes, if they went into the draft without a quarterback other than Mitch Trubisky and Tyler Bray and then still didn't draft one just because they were waiting to see how everything panned out, um, the, the 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 tweets, the you know, the articles everyone been writing, it would have been it would have been irresponsible of the general manager to to not have a quarterback in. And, and I just you know, I, I, no none of us have said or are saying that Nick Foles is the answer. That Nick Foles is going to turn this team into a, a perennial playoff contender. It just we understand you know we we understand the situation the Bears are in. We understand what Matt Nagy is looking for. The connection to Nick Foles, the the comfort level you get with somebody like that, and, and we can we'll have to harp on this every podcast. But there is not going to be OTAs. There's not going to be a mini camp. We have no idea when training camp is going to take place. Why wouldn't you want somebody that already is going to know the playbook like Nick Foles as opposed to somebody that you're going to have to teach the whole thing to like any of these other quarterbacks? Like it, it, it still, to me, it wasn't a fun move to make to give up a fourth-round pick and give this guy a lot of money. But you know, it, it just it, I, I just don't think that you can relate that to some of these other guys who are now getting these deals. And, and, and John's back back to what you said earlier about like the backup money for Jameis Winston. Nick Foles is cap hit this year is five point three million dollars. That's like nothing for a quarterback. 
It's really not that big of a deal. So I don't really actually understand even the angst with the money in the game. Like he restructured his contract. He's actually on a very affordable deal for a guy who's proven to be not just a guy capable of starting and, oh, by the way, winning a Super Bowl, um, but somebody who's a really good backup. I mean, $5.3 million. Wasn't Chase Daniel making $5 million a year? The last two seasons, I'm pretty sure he had a two. He had a two-year, ten million dollar deal. I'm pretty sure. So he's making the money that Chase Daniel did, essentially against the cap. Where is this angst coming from? I do not get it. I'm losing my mind over it. To be honest with you guys, I I, I think a lot of it is, is you know, Winston's a big name. First overall, but Cam Newton, former MVP, first overall. Jameis Winston I, 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 sucks. Can we just like yes, he's yes, bad? Yes. He's he, turns he, the ball over more than he throws touchdowns. He has a big arm. Great. He sucks. He sucks. Like I, I'm intrigued by like the Cam Newton factor, like everything that Cam Newton brings to the table. But we don't know what he can bring to the table right now. There are too many uncertainties. Like, if you just look at his, his stats, the guy needs to be a runner, and the guy just had surgery on his foot. What type of runner can he be? I don't know. No one knows. That's why he's still unsigned here on the last day of April. Look, the, I, I think we should, like, overemphasize this point. Matt Nagy, John Filippo, and Bill Lazor, when it came to their quarterback evaluations, you know, post-combine, when you have all that information coming in about the prospects, all that information coming in about, in about free agency, they decided that Nick Foles was their number one target. That took a trade to get him. And Ryan Pace went after that trade. He got aggressive with that trade. You could doubt Ryan Pace's process all you want. I know a lot of people are doing that right now. But they used a fourth-round comp pick, a, comp, a compensatory pick. This isn't one like an original draft pick. This was a comp pick. And they got Nick Foles, the guy that their head coach wanted, their new quarterbacks coach wanted, the new offensive coordinator wanted, at a time when you won't have, like Kevin said, an offseason program to get everything in order. 30 interceptions, 12 fumbles (laughs) in one season. Not even Jay Cutler could do that in his prime. (laughs) That's why Jameis Winston got $1 million to be the backup in New Orleans which, as John's pointed out, is awful money for a backup even. I mean, come on, people. Isn't Taysom Hill making more than him? Yes, they, then wrong. they... No, no, then they they gave him a new deal, right? And they guaranteed him a whole bunch, like, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taysom Hill right here. Uh, he's got his base salary is hold on hold on here it is oh according to <laughs> on spottrack.com the the 16th quarterback salary in terms of base salaries is Taysom Hill at 4.6 million uh number 17 is Nick Foles at 4 million there you go there there, there you go guys you 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 may not like it and i'm talking to to you know any of the listeners out there that have uh just bears quarterback angst right now the, the reality is the Bears are not done evaluating Mitchell Trubisky yet, okay? And this whole idea about the money and how that's a reason why Nick Foles is going to start. Nick Foles is not... He's making less than Mitch Trubisky in 2020. Like, I feel like we have to keep pointing that out. Mitch Trubisky's still getting the better, better contract in 2020. Now, beyond that... You know, the, we'll, we'll see what happens. But And Nick Foles is on the books for a couple more years. But they're not done evaluating Mitch. There's still a chance that Mitch improves. 
They would like to see that happen. They brought in competition to help facilitate that. It may or may not happen. And Nick Foles may end up having to start. And if he does, you could certainly have worse backups, especially one making a five cap hit of $5.3 million. So, I mean, the more and more I look at this, guys, and of course, I was on the Nick Foles thing before it happened, like just in terms of it making sense. But this is exactly why it all makes sense. And so I just, I do not understand why we're sitting here on April 30th and Johns is getting in the Twitter arguments with people with, uh, at Madrigal Truth or uh, Twitter handles, whatever that means. Now I'll, I'll blame that on the pandemic. Yes, total pandemic okay. move. <laughs> that was. <laughs> hey, you're just you're just providing a service here. I'm just sitting here, you know, sitting around in my house drinking tea and sitting in sweatpants all morning. You know, like <laughs> it's the least I could do for the people. Drinking tea, good for you. Hey, uh, Fishbane. Thoughts on these uh, wide receivers that are all of a sudden on the depth chart? Ted Ginn Jr. added today, and uh, Trevor Davis. Both of these guys caused the Bears some problems last season when they played against them. They did, yeah. I mean, this is uh, it's that classic uh, Bears thing. Like, couldn't beat you. Well, well you know, bring you in. And uh, like Cordero I, I Patterson learn- last year. Exactly. I did learn that uh, Raiders fans really don't like Trevor Davis. Uh, speaking of fans in your Twitter mentions. Um, the Ted Ginn one is interesting because um, that dude can still play. That dude can still run. I know people, you know, point out that he might not have the best hands in the world, but I, I don't. This is not someone that would be, you know, uh, filling up the target stat sheet. I think he get a lot of targets, but you got you can combine him with Darnell Mooney, and you can see that the Bears are trying to find, uh, you know, some cheap ways, but also some interesting ways to get somebody that can blow the top off the defense. The guy had four hundred yards. And I tweeted my fun fact, boys. Ted Ginn Jr., two 40-plus yard catches last season. The same number of 40-yard pass plays as the entire Bears offense. So, yeah, why not? See if any of these these guys can stick. You know, before the the Hogus called him and the the Ryan Pace fire brigade, you know, takes over and tries to (laughs) uh, uh, spin this, this way and that. Oh, it's another, you know, over 30 guy. You know, Ryan Pace must be desperate. Look, at this point in free agency, it, what? again, you, you need to fill out your roster. You're, what, 87, 88 guys. You're going to sign somebody anyway. You know, might as well f- sign a fast guy who, who's proven for a, a cheap, maybe veteran minimum benefit. I don't see the, the, the need for angst or the need for overanalyzing this mood. The Bears wanted to get faster in offense. Uh, they saw a guy who produced for a team that Ryan Pace knows very, very well. I don't mind it whatsoever. I don't see it as a sign of desperation. I think it's just a, a player at this point in free agency on April 30th to, to, to sign. you got to fill out your roster. I will ask you guys this quickly. Um, Cordero Patterson, I feel like we shouldn't even be discussing it. He's a special teams pro bowler. He's a great kickoff returner. The guy does have a high cap number for someone who didn't really do anything for the offense last year. And I've been saying... And Matt Nagy said that they know they have to get him more involved in the offense. I do wonder if there's any scenario that exists where Darnell Mooney looks good, Trevor Davis looks good, Ted Ginn looks good, and they feel like they can find a more financially effective way. It's not a cost-prohibitive cap number, but it did kind of catch my eye because I have been banging the drum for If you're going to pay Cordell Patterson this much money, you should try to give him the ball more often than you did last year. 
Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe that's something they're working on. I, I also think that they va- that these guys really do value special teams, though. And, and I realize that, like, compared to other s- contracts for guys who are primary, primarily special teamers, um, you know, for instance, like Cordell Patterson and Sherrick McManus are both good special teamers. One's getting paid a lot more than the other, right? Um, but I still think that they value it enough and realize that you have to be good in that phase to actually be a Super Bowl contender. So to me, I think that's a good question to be brought up and something they maybe have in the back of our minds. I still think that that's only a scenario where unless they're completely desperate against the cap, uh, they wouldn't make that move. Yeah, I, I agree. And I just, again, that was just kind of a thought exercise, but I do, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how much they, more they do at Patterson. And I think the fact that they really did nothing else at running back tells me maybe they'll actually get him back there in the backfield. And, you know, he had one or two good runs last year and then other, otherwise he got bottled up. But you got something there that you can work with and, and what is kind of a thin uh, running back room. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, before we let you go, any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts. No, maybe per, perhaps on the, uh, draft. Um, I'll, I'll throw this. Here's my final thought. Ahmed Wagner, undrafted guy out of Kentucky. Could be interesting. Keep an eye on him. Guy drew You're 12 all over these undrafted guys. penalties. Yeah. Huh. I'm all about that. I'm all about the UDFAs. He may be writing something, Adam. Okay. <laughs> 12 pass interference calls on 42 targets. That's impressive. Can you tell? You know what, that, that does make me feel better, Johns, because otherwise he just knows all this just for his own good. Uh, I don't know what good that is, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear he's actually writing something with all well, this Well, he's got that one-man Kevin Fishbane fun fact market to, you know, to keep entertained on Twitter. You know, Mark Potash is looking for something these days, right, Kev? Guys, we all need a niche, a niche, you know? Mine's, mine's the fun facts, so I got to keep filling it up. And Posse's is trolling on Twitter during the draft. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the draft. Yeah, it's just, it's, just cla- it's just amazing entertainment. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, Kevin, thanks for jumping on here today. It's good to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Go Cats. We'll, we'll be looking forward to that undrafted free agent piece on The Athletic. There he is. Kevin Fishbane. The fish man. All right. We need to turn our attention back to the draft. Uh, We teased this for you the other day, and uh, we're going to get more insight on Cole Komet, the Bears' new tight end from Notre Dame. And the perfect guy to get insight on him is Pete Sampson, who covers the Notre Dame Fighting Irish on The Athletic. We'll bring him in now. What's going on, Pete? Unfortunately, not much, which is the life of a uh, college football reporter right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there. But uh, in the meantime, uh, the NFL draft did go on, and the Bears got themselves a, a, a pretty promising tight end uh, in, in Cole Komet. You had a chance to obviously cover him, be around him. So uh, just sort of a more generic question to start. What kind of tight end did the Bears get here at number 43 in the draft? I sort of describe him as a, a, a very classic Notre Dame tight end, uh, which if you're an NFL team is a real positive, right? It's um, I sort of view him, his career arc at Notre Dame being very Kyle Rudolph-esque. Uh, was with the Vikings for a decade now, has made Pro Bowls. Um, I, in the sense his 
career at Notre Dame didn't really produce the way that anyone expected it to, uh, in part due to injuries, but his talent was just so obvious um, that unless you viewed him as a real injury liability, which I don't, and it's a, you know, it's a broken collarbone and a high ankle sprain at um, in the legacy Notre Dame's had at tight end, I, I feel like, you know, sure thing might be a little stretch, but not by a lot. I, I just think he's somebody who's going to be in Chicago for a very long time and be very productive there. Pete, I'm curious. One one of the the storylines, I guess, around him is that maybe focusing on one sport now will improve him as a, a football player. Obviously, he was a closer on Notre Dame's baseball team. That's one of the reasons he, he went and joined the Irish because they were like the only school that would allow him to be a multi-sport athlete. So for someone who's like on campus, around campus, and knows that school so well, like what type of time constraints did he have on himself going from sport to sport? And what do you maybe think of of that narrative? I I hate to say it's overrated because it wasn't my schedule. It was Cole Komet's, uh, and I know it was pretty brutal for him. But, I mean, the, the conflicts with baseball is spring practice more when – more when Cole has established himself as a football player. So I think it's, it's probably a little bit overdone. Uh, it's not, you know, this isn't a situation where he was like football basketball and he was like losing 25 pounds to play the other sport. Um, he was training and weight training just the same. And I, I mean, some of it just goes back to kind of the natural athleticism that he has. So I, I don't see this as like, Oh my God, I, you know, because he's now he's only doing football, you're going to see this guy turn into a five-time Pro Bowler uh, in his first five years. You know, it, I think that for him, the ability to just play football and not have to worry about academics, that is a bigger, uh, I guess, moving point for Cole Komet than it is only playing one sport because his academic schedule at Notre Dame was pretty brutal. Uh, now he can just be a football player all the time. So that, to me, that's a bigger issue for him or a bigger chance to improve than, well, now he's not pitching on the side. Pete, did he actually miss spring football or was he trying to do both during the spring? He missed, I want to say, two spring practices. Um, so, and, and that's where I sort of get into this. It's not like he checked out of Notre Dame's football program in March and, and returned in August. He was he was at Notre Dame on a football scholarship, and that's what he that's how he was sort of expected to behave. Um, so it's you know was it a time suck? Sure, but I don't I don't think it's a situation where he's going to just make this huge jump now because baseball's out of the way. Pete, one of the yeah. other storylines that kind of came out of this is I guess the instant reaction from Mike Tannenbaum, you know, the longtime <laughs> exec. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to I know Brian Kelly addressed this yesterday. Was it yesterday or two days ago on his conference call? Yeah, it was just, they all kind of run together, yeah, right? these days are, I don't know what day it is. I have no idea what day it is. Um, just just take us through, like, what's the best way to digest it and process all of that, you know, when it comes to, to Cole Komet? I, well, Brian Kelly sort of had a drive-by quote at Tannenbaum uh, during his conference call the other day, and it kind of shocked me because I was like, what, what did Mike Tannenbaum ever do to Brian Kelly? But, you know, it it didn't make any sense. If you're going to criticize Cole Komet for speed, that didn't that didn't really add up to me. If you were going to like knock on him, it'd be is he physical enough? Is he strong enough at the point of attack? Um, getting down the seam of a defense is that's what he does best. So that didn't that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me um, as a criticism of Cole Komet. You know, is he 
you know, is he like Antonio Gates in his prime or Jimmy Graham in his prime? No, but he he's more than fast enough to beat linebackers and get between safeties and, and stretch the field vertically. He didn't do a ton of it at Notre Dame, but I, I think that's because he kind of got taken away by a lot of double team looks defensively. Uh, they tried to get the ball to him, sometimes forcing it uh, into bad looks. But um, speed is man. That's that that'd be the least of my concerns if I was looking at Colcomet and trying to pick apart what he's good and bad at. Well, and to your point, Pete. I mean, one of the games that stands out to me, and I think stands out to a lot of people, is how he came back against Georgia. Uh, oh, yeah. this year coming off the injury. That was his first game in the season, correct? And, you I mean, you watch that tape. He's getting up the seams just fine against a high-quality SEC defense, uh, one that the Bears like to draft from, actually, and uh, in a very tough environment uh, down there. I mean, just watching on TV, that was one of the coolest college football environments I saw all season. Yeah, it was definitely one of my favorites to cover. And, I mean, that's that was sort of the game where Georgia didn't know how Cole Komet was going to get used, and if he's sort of left in single-team matchups, that's what you get. You get eight, nine catches for 100 yards and a touchdown against you know probably the the well not probably the best defense Notre Dame faced all season. You know, I, I think ideally that's what Notre Dame wanted the entire year to look like for Cole Komet, but they just weren't able to establish a second and third receivers to to keep teams honest. Um, and you know Cole Komet is a, it's a rare tight end in college that you would game plan around, but that's exactly what happened. Teams really sort of uh, mucked up the middle of the field, and uh, they had a hard time sort of getting him down the seam and really taking advantage of one of his, his biggest strengths. Pete, what can you tell us about Cole Komet, maybe the person, and getting to to know him, covering you know that team, coming in as a as a highly regarded recruit. Going to being a local Chicago kid who goes to, to Notre Dame, and you know, that's such a major program for a lot of Chicago area people. And, and now here he is playing for his hometown team. It's, it's a dream come true. We get all that, but with, with it comes a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations, a lot of text message and DMs and whatnot. I'm curious, like, how do you think he's going to handle it all? Like, what can you tell us about his makeup in terms of, of dealing with his soon to be future here? I don't- Really comfortable in his own skin, kind of kid. Uh, I don't, I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed by any of this. Um, you know, Notre Dame helps prepare at least a little bit, I think, in that regard. But um, easy to deal with from a media perspective. You know, I, I don't think you're going to have a standoff relationship with him uh, if you're a Chicago Bears beat reporter. And I would even say that he'd probably be one of your better quotes. So. I think he's somebody that's going to be very easy for the media to like dealing with him professionally. And, you know, I think we all know that if you have a good relationship with the media, that probably makes you more popular with fans, too. Um, so I, I think that I think it's a great fit for him, um, you know, with the family in town. He's got some pro background with his dad and his uncle uh, has sort of been around it for a while. So I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed coming in. And I you know, just from a, a reporter's perspective, I, I found it would be great to deal with, very upfront and honest, even with questions that, you know, probably could be a little bit awkward. So it's he's. I think he'll be. I think he'll be a pretty popular player around the Bears locker room, uh, both you know teammates and probably beat reporters. Pete, last thing for you, uh, you know, there's been a, a lot of talk about his blocking. Um, it, that's pretty common for a tight end making the jump to to the NFL. I I know that that's specifically one of the areas that the Bears feel like he has the upside. 
Um, and maybe that's where the you know the focusing on football thing could help him. But just you saw him play all the time. What what was his blocking truly like for those of us that didn't see every one of his snaps? It was fine. I mean, it, it it's definitely not the biggest strength of his. But I don't know how you would be a great blocker when you break your collarbone on the fifth day of training camp and then play through it at Georgia as your first game back. Like you're just going to lose some strength uh, when that happens. So it's. You know, and even his sophomore year, when he played most of it with a high ankle sprain, you know that that's not going to make you a great blocker either. So, that's to me him staying healthy for an extended amount of time. That's that's the great upside. Um, it's less about the football baseball conflicts and more just about you're healthy. Because um, as as somebody who trained and rehabbed, he came back from a high ankle sprain in two weeks, which was pretty ridiculous. Uh, and then you know the collarbone was. I think right at six weeks and your first game is at Georgia and you go over a hundred yards. So he's a tough dude. Um, I don't think there's a lack of willingness to want to block or uh, the, you know, the desire to sort of get dirty and do it, but you know, the ability to train and, and sort of drill down from a strength perspective, I, I think there's huge upside and huge room for improvement in that way. All right. Well, Pete, thanks so much for jumping on. Great insight. We really appreciate it. I think uh, our listeners will uh, appreciate it too. And you can follow Pete on Twitter at Pete Sampson. Looks like there's an underscore at the end. Just want to make there's sure. There's an underscore. Okay. Uh, just make sure people, will they look you up, <laughs> see that. Um, but uh, excellent Notre Dame beat writer for The Athletic. And again, hey, you subscribe to The Athletic, you get all this stuff. So uh, Pete is another one of these writers jumping on with us uh, to give us great insight on these picks that the Bears have made. So thanks so much for jumping on with us. Thanks, Pete. Anytime. Thanks, guys. All right, there he is, Pete Sampson. Johnsy, um, any takeaways there? Yeah, you know what? You almost forget about the maybe some durability concerns. They're, they're not mm-hmm. as large as Jalen Johnson's durability concerns, but but they're definitely there. You could see why it slowed him up. You know, that Georgian nugget about him playing through some, or just returning to the field and then playing through, like, just a transition and getting his, you know, shoulder feeling right and, you know, having the broken collarbone and whatnot, and here he is, you know, having his breakout game. I thought that was very notable to me. I, I would like that if I'm a scout and evaluating him for sure. Yeah, I think that game really, really helped him. And I remember watching that entire game from start to finish in September. And, and uh, you know, Cole was somebody that really jumped out of my radar the year before when he was at Northwestern, um, when Notre Dame played at Northwestern. I think he only had two catches in that game. So it wasn't like he had a big game, but one of them was at least like a 20-yarder. And you can just see right there in front of you, like this is an NFL kind of prototypical Notre Dame tight end going to the NFL um, and then for him to come back against Georgia the way he did. And, you know, one of his strengths, Johns, is he he's one of these tight ends that does not like to go down easily. You know, once he, when he catches a ball and turns up field, he seeks out contact. Now, that's a good and a bad thing in a way because it's, it's good. Like, that's one thing I think fans always appreciate about Martellus Bennett. Like, he was really... Uh, great once he got the ball in his hands and picking up extra yardage. But I also think that contributed to him getting banged up a little, right? So you got to always find that balance. Yeah, yeah. And one more thing that I liked from um, well, Pete's coverage and Pete's analysis there is I do think the the mental aspect of playing in Chicago can be t- 
tiresome on players. We, we saw a play out with Jay Cutler. We've seen spats between coaches and um, media. We've seen spats, you know, uh, between coaches and players get covered. And here's Cole Komet, you know, walking into, like, like we said, like off the top of the podcast. There's a lot of angst right now. There's angst over his selection, and I'm interested to see how it's it's covered and how he handles it. And it sounds like, you know, playing at Notre Dame, being a high-end recruit in this area and having that background with his father and his uncle playing in the league for a bit, I think that'll help him. He'll have people he could go to to, to talk to. Um, he's not going to, to have uh, an immense amount of pressure on him, and I think a lot of those guys will make him realize that. Having Jimmy Graham around, um, having Demetrius Harris to a lesser extent around will help him as well, but I, I am intrigued. Consider me you know, very interested in see how he handles the pressure of being the Bears' first pick this year and playing in his hometown market. Yeah, um, that's certainly, I, I think that's a good thing to bring up because that's, uh, that's, there's always, there's always pressure. And especially when you're drafted to a team that didn't have a first round pick, like, like even last year, David Montgomery, any other year, third round pick, you're just sort of an afterthought, but he was the bears first pick. And so it, he got like the first round pick treatment, right? And that's that's the same position Cole Komet is in. Um, second round's a little different. You always kind of expect something early from second round picks, but it is something that he's going to have to battle. All right, uh, you brought up Jay Cutler, Johnsy. Do we need to end the podcast by breaking down the big Jay Cutler news? We don't, but you could go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on. We used to do weekly breakdowns. I know. Very I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. It, la- it was a segment that lasted, I think, two and a half weeks. Because I only hey, watched about two and a half episodes in its entirety. <laughs> I don't even think I, I made it to that. But so I have. Pre- so I think there's been three seasons of that show now. Every single season, I think I've watched the first like three or four episodes. And then just like can't handle it anymore. Like I like the Cutler parts. I can't handle the, all the other stuff, and especially like when they were so, so many different characters from uh, Kristen's business. They were all extremely annoying, and I could not put up with it. But it was interesting because John's there. Uh, if for those that missed it, I don't know how you would have missed it at this point. Um, but Jay Cutler and Kristen Cavallari are getting a divorce. Um, we don't really have to go into too many details about it, but it is interesting. And there was actually, John, some signs, if you watched this past season, which I know you didn't, there were some signs that the uh, the relationship was a little rocky. There was even, there was uh, Kristen's like best friend on season two just suddenly disappeared, and there were rumors flying around everywhere that there was an affair between her and Cuddy. I think those have been debunked and that never actually happened, but it was actually a big enough thing that it was showcased, like it was put on the show, which is the only reason why I'm bringing it up right now. Um, but then they, it ends up with a divorce. And, and, you know, my wife is uh, really broken up about this, John. She's, she's taking it hard this week. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> I tried to get a couple sighs in there because, like, the, the human in me, like... I, I don't like talking about stuff like this. I feel like everybody's business is their business. I feel for the children in this. Uh, I understand how uh, a celebrity life can, can lead to friction. I understand how maybe a pandemic life can, can lead to friction. But in terms, if we're just talking specifically about that TV show, 
like I always had a feeling, and I'm just spitballing here, but like I always had a feeling that yes, this was the real Jay, but I don't feel like the real Jay always wanted to be on that show. Does that make sense? And I don't know. I, I don't want to overanalyze this again. I, I feel just awful for the children involved with this, and you know, there's no need to to really say more. But yes. He was a great reality television star, but you know he didn't want to do this long term. Well, and for the record, you and I always respect uh, the private life. So there's the only reason this is a thing is because they're on a television show that's very, very public. Okay, so um, it, it's a little bit of a different situation. I think in most cases of a, of a current or former Bears player uh, getting a divorce, uh, we probably wouldn't even touch it because, like you said, it's their own personal life. Um, and, and the worst part here, obviously, are the, the three children involved. Um, and some of the stuff that's already been reported in the last 24, 48 hours is uh, kind of messy and like probably most divorces are, um, you know, and this one's going to play out pretty publicly so that kind of sucks but you know what else sucks is if Cutler's not on that show anymore because he was by far the best part and you know what I hope comes of this very selfishly Johns that he ends up on a football broadcast somewhere well he should I I imagine he's a natural at it I, I imagine his quick wit would be appreciated I think um maybe Maybe it's even needed now. I know of a certain national broadcast that you know airs games on Monday nights that could use a reboot of a broadcast team. Yeah, I don't know if they'd throw him on the Monday Night Football that quickly, but look, he had a chance and was actually signed up to do games with Fox the year he ended up playing with the Dolphins. And I don't know. I know that there were some reports earlier this offseason about him they're being interested in that again. Um, and I believe if I have this correctly, John's that Charles Davis jumped from Fox to CBS. I believe you're right. So I, th- I think there's an opening there um, on that same team. He was going to join, which was Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis. And it was Cuddy was going to be the third one. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Honestly, I, that for all we know, that may have played a role in, in this somehow, because obviously with Christian's business, Jay had kind of become the, the stay-at-home dad. Uh, so I don't, you know, I'm not going to get into all that, but um, very selfishly, I hope that Cutler, one way or another, ends up on a broadcast booth because I think he'd be good at it. It would add in more entertainment in my life, especially, uh, you know, and help fill the void that he's not going to be on very Cavalier anymore. Now, how about the synergy of this podcast? We started with <laughs> quarterback angst. And we're, we're in with talking about Jay Cutler. How Chicagoan is this podcast? Talk, that's real talk. That's right. We are cliche. Did you see any of the uh, Be Chicago special last night on NBC Sports I did, Chicago? I did. I, I saw Lawrence Holmes talking to good old number 54 and number 55. I enjoyed that segment. The The White Sox bit. I'm sorry. That does nothing for me, Adam. Um, and then what part? What, the, the, the 2005 guys. Oh. You know, when you won the World Series? Yeah, I'm well aware. Right? Yeah. You, you didn't care for the uh, story <laughs> coming out that Carl Everett and A.J. Pruszynski came to blows in the locker room? No, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. That was awesome. I know it was good, or, but maybe... The, I, or the part that the part that didn't make it that Chuck Garfine wrote about today that Wander Rebate didn't know anybody's name in the locker room? That's even better. Now that's, that's a like good his name. own Don't, teammates. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, uh, if you missed it, it was an outstanding fundraiser last night uh, for the COVID-19 um, relief fund with United Way. Four hours. It was incredible. I mean, a lot of incredible programming. The band Chicago, like this is incredible performance over Zoom uh, to be included. So if you missed it, that is getting... It depends on when you listen to this podcast, but uh, I know if you're listening to this on Thursday, it is getting replayed at 9 o'clock tonight, so you can find it there, record it, whatever. It's definitely worth watching. Um, I'm sure, Johns, you like them, them going down memory lane with the Blackhawks, though, in 2010. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit better. That, that, that suits my taste a little bit. Uh, the Sox, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> it's just the Cubs fan in me, man. Just got to keep just it real. disrespectful. Just disrespect. It's just fine, whatever. You know, according to ESPN, you know, I don't know if you're, you know this, Adam, but according to ESPN, that title does not exist anyway. So obviously, oh, I know. That. <laughs> I'm well aware. Yeah, ESPN. Uh, I think they are actually re-showing one of the 2005 World Series games on ESPN one day, and I was like, wait, so there is proof yeah, that this happened for you know, ESPN? It's I'll, on I'll, ESPN. I'll, I'll, you know, I watched every single one of those games of the World Series run, and I'll be honest, like. The angst to me as a Cubs fan was just bewildered. I'm like, why can't anybody hit these guys? <laughs> like, that's, the White Sox pitcher? Thought, yes. Yeah. Every single game I'm thinking that. But I know it meant something to you and a lot of people. I'm just joking around. Doesn't sound like you're joking, but that's okay. Uh, you know, jealousy is a... It's, hey, it's, the, the Cubs got there, my friend. Oh, they did? Huh. Yes. Must have According to the ESPN, yes. Okay. All right. That's going to do it for us. If you take one thing away from this, just take a deep breath. Everything's going to be okay. Like, the Bears are probably the best team in the NFC North right now, people. It's going to be okay. Whew. You can make an argument on that. Yes. Yeah, I think you can. (laughs) We could have talked about the Packers stuff. Favre create more drama there. Oh, Rodgers is angry. That whole thing is just simmering. You know it is, man. Would you rather be the Bears or the Packers right now? Well, I think a lot of people would say the Packers, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that plays out. You'd probably still have rather have Aaron Rodgers. That's fair. Not probably. Definitely. Definitely would. That's okay. All right. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. You can read me at NBCSportsChicago.com. My 10 Bears things, if you missed it earlier in the week, it's still up there. Check it out. A lot of good draft information in there. Johnsy stuff is up at The Athletic. You should be subscribed. If you're not, do it now. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Uh, where, where's our friend Patrick Finley?